All right. Deep breath. Brene Brown said, one day you will tell your story of how you overcame what you went through and it will become someone else's survival guide. This is my story. After 30 years of marriage and ministry, raising a family together, I filed for divorce. Overnight, we lost our home, our ministry, and nearly lost our family. That was four and a half years ago. But God had different plans. I was born in Los Alamos, New Mexico. I grew up in Missouri and Oklahoma, a daddy's girl, riding motorcycles, hunting, swimming, driving Jeeps. Yeah, we had matching motorcycles. (laughs) Two years after I graduated from high school, Robert and I met the summer of 1985 in Florida. We were... um, going to be missionaries. I was headed off to Egypt, and he was headed off to Fiji, suffering on the beaches for Jesus. (laughs) Our first date was at um, a Cardinal baseball game. Six months later, January 14th, we were engaged, and six months later, we were married. We pastored for 29 years. We moved 15 times. We have three children and one beautiful grandbaby. It was Saturday, January 14th, 2017, in Fruitland Park, Florida. It just so happened to be also... 31 years anniversary of when he asked me to marry him. I didn't know it at the time, but I later remembered that. My mother was visiting from Oklahoma to take care of me. I had just had my second rotator cuff surgery. I had an arm in a sling, and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't get dressed, bathe, cook, drive, among other things. I did physical therapy three times a day and different exercises for both arms, so I felt like it consumed my whole time, all day. Robert, my husband, was working a Saturday like he always did. He worked two jobs seven days a week. He was bivocational. He was a senior pastor of our sweet little congregation, and he worked full-time at a roofing company. That night, we decided to order pizza and play a few games of dominoes. I don't remember who won. (laughs) Not important. We laughed, and we had fun, and everything seemed to be normal. Everything seemed to be okay. Often on Saturdays, Robert would go to bed early, And he would get up around 3 or 4 a.m. and practice his sermon 
but before he could go to bed that night, I needed him to help stretch my arm, which was not fun and quite painful, but it was very necessary. We then kissed, said goodnight, because I couldn't get in the bed to sleep. I was still sleeping in a big chair, um, and it's quite an ordeal because, as you can tell, I'm short can't use my arms. I had to fix a lot of pillows around me, so it was just an ordeal to get in this chair, get out of the chair. It was just awkward. My mother helped get me situated. She said goodnight, but about 30 minutes later, I realized I had forgotten my mouth guard. I know it's not a big deal, but I don't sleep well without it, so I was like, okay, can I get out of this chair and do this by myself, get back in the chair, is it worth it, or should I just try to sleep without it? For whatever reason, I thought, I'm going to go get the mouth guard. I got this. I can do it. So I walked really slow down the hallway as to not bump my crazy arms and slings on the, on the walls to wake anybody. I turned the doorknob really slow as to not wake Robert. He had fallen asleep with the lamp on, I know he worked hard. He was so tired. After I got my mouth guard, just before I got ready to turn the light out, his phone lit up with a text. The text was from another woman, not anyone that I knew. And in that instant, I knew something was wrong. I got a sick feeling in my gut, deep, stabbing pain. My heart started to pound, and I felt like I couldn't breathe. My mind started going 90 miles a minute. I looked back at him laying there in the bed with his commentaries next to him. And I thought, I I thought things were better. I knew things were not perfect. I know I love him and I thought he loved me. I know we've had a lot of rocky roads in the 31 years of marriage. But I always knew something was wrong. I just couldn't put my finger on it. I had many times reoccurring dreams of other women. But I put them out of my mind and I got very good at pretend normal at church and in life. However, when I was alone with God, I would beg him over and over for a healthy and godly marriage. I asked him, why doesn't my husband desire me? I felt alone. I felt like my prayers were not important or that God didn't care. Maybe he didn't hear me. For the next six weeks, I did some pretty crazy things. 
I played detective. I got very little sleep. I started tracking my husband where he went. When I was finally able to drive, I would kiss him goodbye. And I would jump up and get dressed, get in the car, and I would follow him. At night, I would sneak and get his phone. I would lie to him. I told him I'd have to do updates on his phone just so I could snoop. I bought CDs so that I could put music on his phone, and I told him it would take hours, knowing it would only take a few minutes, just whatever I could do to snoop. I purchased a program where I could see all of his text messages and every website that he went to. I even purchased a wig, and I had different disguises. During this time, not only was I lying to him, I had to keep up with all my lies. I had to act like nothing was wrong. And I was seriously dying on the inside. I felt like I was going crazy. And believe it or not, we even went on a cruise during that six weeks. For the last week, I lied to him, and I said I was going out of town. He dropped me off at the airport, and as he drove off, I hopped into the rental car that I had rented and followed him. Later that night, wearing all black and a hoodie, I entered our neighborhood. I crawled under his car, and I placed a tracker on the car just in case he would leave his phone someplace. This got very challenging because I had to keep replacing the battery every couple of days. I didn't know that. but So one time, one of the craziest times, he was actually preaching on Sunday morning. I'm getting ready to, to follow him that day. We turn the tracker on, and it starts beeping at a restaurant. We were panicked. I was like, we've got, and it was on the other side of town. And Florida, we had snowbirds there in January. The traffic's crazy. I didn't know if the restaurant was going to be opened. Had somebody picked it up? Was it inside? What was I going to say? Oh, that's my tracking device. We raced across town. He had hit it on a cement block, and so it had fallen So it was right there. We grabbed it. We replaced the battery, raced back to the church. And while my husband's preaching, I'm crawling under his car and replacing the battery to track him. Hoping nobody would see me in the parking lot. Crazy, right? In the evenings of that week, my best friend and I, we would print everything out from the websites, text messages, phone calls he had made, the bank transactions, just trying to make sense of it all. My heart never stopped racing, and I began to self-medicate, drinking quite a bit. 
I followed him until I had the pictures and proof of what he had been doing. On Friday of that week, I met with my attorney. I walked in with all of my proof. I started bawling and I filed for divorce. I can remember telling her I didn't want this. I had to wipe my eyes several times just to sign my name. And as I was doing this, Robert was one mile away from where I was. He thought I was in the air flying home. I came home. I acted like everything was good. Dying on the inside. Monday morning, I kissed him goodbye thinking that would be the last time that I'd kiss him. Again, God had other plans. He left the house, and I collapsed on the floor and cried out to God, God, why? 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 I love my husband even after discovering what he had done. I loved my husband. I didn't want this. I packed all my belongings, and I left a note along with his wedding ring on the note. The note said, I know, I have proof, and here's my attorney's phone number. I blocked him from my phone so he couldn't call or text me. I used cash or a new credit card so he couldn't find out where I was. He had no idea. He was served with divorce papers a few days later. Weeks later, we separated our belongings. Robert moved out of the house and I moved back in for a few weeks. Our son, Benjamin, came home from Jordan. He was relentless going back and forth between Robert and I. He wouldn't give up. You see, when Robert's father passed away, Robert started seeing prostitutes and became addicted to pornography. I discovered this had been going on for 11 years. Spending thousands and seeing hundreds of women. I never could put two and two together. And realizing this, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I still don't even know if I can wrap my mind around what really happened. Who is he? I thought I knew my husband. 31 years of being with somebody, the person you're the most intimate with, and you find out you don't even know who they are. 
everyone had advice to give me. A lot of people said horrible things. I couldn't think straight. I was in so much pain. The pain was absolutely overwhelming. I begged God, take this pain. I can't do this. Make it all go away. Fear began to take a hold of me. How will I make it? How will I be able to live? I had no hope. I was having anxiety attacks. I would wake up in the middle of the night and feel like a cinder block had just been dropped on my chest. I would start gasping for air. And our sons, Nate or Ben, would come running into my room and tell me to breathe. Our daughter, Rachel, and her husband, Grant, came from Wisconsin down to Florida. We had a garage sale. We packed and loaded up the moving truck, and they moved all of my belongings up here to a storage unit. The next morning, Rachel and Grant drove off in the U-Haul, and I took Ben to the airport. Nate went back to where he was living. I was alone. The house was empty of all of our possessions. I did have an air mattress to sleep on that our neighbors had loaned me. I can remember sitting on the floor against the wall, looking around, remembering Christmases past, birthday parties. What happened? What did I do wrong? Why wasn't I enough? How did this happen? Deep pain. God, do you love me? How could you love me and do this to me? God, I can't do this. Fear and anxiety gripped me. But God took every distraction away. And that's when God overwhelmingly began to tell me to wait. Wait and see. Micah 7, 7 says, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Psalm 27, 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I poured all the alcohol out down the drain. I wrote a letter to all my family and friends. I said, don't give me any advice. I put the divorce on hold. 
I needed to hear from God and God alone. I read Jesus Calling in the Mornings, the Bible app during the day, Jesus Always at Night. I read every book I could get my hands on about healing from betrayal. I went to counseling. I joined a national support group for women. And Ben paid for me to go to an intensive weekend called Like It Matters. God continued to tell me to wait upon him to recognize he was in control and I wasn't. He holds my hands. He holds my hope, my future, my dreams. Psalm 18, verses 16 and 19. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of the deep waters. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. I needed to feel safe, and God provided. The end of May, I moved in with a couple from our church with a suitcase, and that was about it. You understand, this was a couple that was in our church that we ministered to, and now they turned around to minister to and to love on us. So many questions still haunted me. My heart would not slow down. I felt like I was in a fog. Did this really happen to me? Am I in a bad dream? Does anyone know? And if they do know, what are they thinking? I realized I was really fragile, and I was in a battle, not just for my sanity, but for my faith, for my family, and for my marriage. I had choices I needed to make. Am I going to face the storm and embrace it, or am I going to run? Will I remain a victim Or will I choose to be victorious? Will I remain to be bitter? Or will I choose to forgive? Will I do whatever it takes to be healthy? I decided to face the storm head on. Those of you that know me know I have a painting of a bison in my house. Buffalo are the only animals that embrace the storm and face it. All the other animals cower and turn away. And so I started to think like a warrior. My battle was with the enemy. I would stand and say, all right, bring it on, Satan. You're not going to have the victory. I won't allow it. Genesis 50, 20, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. God promises he would fight for me to be strong and courageous. He would strengthen me. I found a new counselor that recognized I was in full-blown PTSD and needed intense therapy. I did every form of therapy there was or is for PTSD. It was exhausting and a lot of hard work. 
I did power walks and I would talk with God. As I talked to him, I remembered a Bible study I'd once had done about believing God. And I would say over and over, I believe, God, you are who you say you are. You are my healer. You are the one that can heal my broken heart. You are my savior. You are faithful. You are trustworthy. I believe, God, you will do what your word says you will do. You will provide for me. You will rescue me. You will make a way. You will fight for me. You will work all this out for your good. You are for me, not against me. Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Isaiah 41.13, for I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who says to you, fear not. I am the one that helps you. The desperateness that I was in caused me and it drew me to seek God like I had never sought him before. I took every thought captive. Every time I have, to this day, an intrusive thought, or an anxiety attack. I have a battle plan. I have scripture on my phone, and I call it my lifeline. I have a warrior playlist, and I would turn the music up. I still do. You may come over and hear a lot of banging music out of my house. I would turn it up, and I would sing like I meant it. I can do all things through Christ. I can survive. I will survive. I am strong. I am victorious. I am an overcomer. I have warrior sisters. Many of them texted me this morning, yesterday. They're all praying for me. We reach out to each other. So I had notes, note cards that I had filled with specific prayers, prayers for my broken heart, prayers for emotions, Boundaries, overcoming lies, and so much more. One of the prayers was, Lord, take my broken heart and calm my pounding heart. Renew me in your spirit and teach me to hope again. Help me to see beyond the pain. Show me how to deal with my anger and my tears and use my hurts to teach me compassion for others who are wounded. The other thing I did that is really hard still to this day, I started to thank God for my pain. I started to pray for those that have hurt me or caused this. Day after day, I began to do these things. My faith grew. I began to feel God's presence. I began to deeply believe that God loves me. He really loves me. 
He didn't cause these things. But he's going to use them. His ways are good. His plans are for me. They're not to harm me. And he will work it all out for his good. On April 23rd, Robert and I met for the first time to talk after two months of being apart. That July, Robert moved in with the same family that I was living with. Again, an amazing family to take this broken couple. It was a beautiful example of what Jesus does for us. We were in separate rooms until we went to an intensive emergency marital situation weekend. And by the grace of God, many people praying, lots and lots of hard work, and a lot of therapy. It has now been four and a half years, and we just celebrated our 35th wedding anniversary. For the life of me, I cannot wrap my head or my heart around God's timing or God's ways. But I do know we must be determined to strengthen our faith by trusting in him and his timing. God has a history of working miracles. A few of the things I've learned is that forgiveness is not optional. Forgiveness is not excusing what's been done to me or saying it's okay to hurt me. Forgiveness is not easy. Forgiveness is not weakness. It is an attribute of the strong. Forgiveness sets me free. And it is a gift that I give myself. And lastly, I am not alone. God is with me. He loves me. He loves me with an everlasting love. He promises to never leave me nor forsake me.